We should have an interesting time together, I hope. First, so this uh, course, what do they call it? The spiritual basis of reform and the spiritual foundation of reform. Uh, I have some uh, materials for you. You'll just to hand it out. There's uh, may not be enough copies for everybody, so we'll find that out and get more for you tomorrow. Uh, today, uh, we will uh, just be discussing uh, stuff in, in the uh, article, uh, the second uh, entry in this handout, the next step in the expansion of ISKCON. Um, so that, that's okay, but I'll tell you ahead of time what you should read for tomorrow if you have time to read, if you're not taking too many courses and associating too much with Vaishnavas. You might have, you might have a little time to... Uh, As uh, Shona Karishi said, this is a follow-up from uh, last year's course, which was a, uh, a sort of uh, discussion of ISKCON's past, what went wrong and why, and uh, this course is what to do about it. Naturally, we can't change the past, but how to correct things so that the future, at least we won't make the same mistakes. Uh, Prabhupada said uh, someplace that uh, you learn from experience, and experience means you make mistakes. So it's understood that people will make mistakes. Uh, that's forgivable. Uh, the thing that's less forgivable is the inability to learn from your mistakes. In fact, that's what a fool is. A fool is somebody who keeps making the same mistakes over and over again and never seems to learn. So we want not to be not to be foolish. Um, the uh, uh, materials from last course, again at the, the at the severe promptings and prodding from Shonakarishi were reworked uh, by me for an article that was published in ISKCON's uh, uh, ISKCON Communications Journal some of you may have seen if you hadn't weren't here last year called Pillars of Success and uh, so I'm going to I'm going to do a little review of that material uh, about uh, the background of, of what we're going to talk about, and then, then tomorrow we're going to um, we're going to go uh, into uh, positive corrective measures. Um, just a second, I've got stuff on a computer, and I have to get myself oriented here. Isn't it horrible to have somebody talk to you while at the same time they're doing something with a stupid computer? I, I hate that. I can tell when it happens all the time. You're on the phone with somebody and you know they're reformatting their hard drive or something. 
Um, the central focus will be uh, to uh, will uh, we want to focus the the central of our focus is that that reform in ISKCON must always have a spiritual basis. I mean, there are other things you can do also, restructuring and all these kinds of things. But without without a spiritual foundation, uh, none of that will. Uh, that will work. And I want to want to first of all, here's a few excerpts, uh, a sampling from Prabhupada. There's a much greater uh, body of quotations I could pull out on the same thing. But uh, here's a letter. These are uh, all these I think are from letters. This one was uh, from 1972 to Jagadish. He says, Prabhupada writes, let us forget past incidents and let us look forward to rectify our defects. Uh, simply uh, go on with your work, he says, and other instructions will follow. Simply become more concerned with increasing the spiritual content of our lives and in this way all other problems, like management, will be easily solved not that they can be solved by making some legal formula and having big, big meetings and talks. The politicians have been holding such meetings and talks for some time now, and the world is no better place for it. And they have only made things worse. We should not follow their example. The world is in a very precarious condition simply for lack of God consciousness. So this should be our point of stressing that we should revive this emphasis on God consciousness everywhere in the world and that will be our contribution. This sets forth a general uh, policy of, of Srila Prabhupada. He quotes Bhaktisiddhanta, there's no lack of anything but, but Krishna consciousness. Um, and then in uh, and it's a, a sad commentary by the way that I think every letter I'm reading is to somebody that's no longer an active participant in the Krishna consciousness movement. Um, this is a letter to Nichananda, temple president, some notoriety later, uh, from the, again, the same month in 72. He says, so far you're concerned about management. The solution is to be always thinking of Krishna and the spiritual master. Then Maya cannot touch you. If you very strictly follow the regulative principles and chant 16 rounds minimum, there is no question of ever falling down. Krishna has given you very nice facility there, so you continue to serve him with great faith and enthusiasm and he will give you all blessings. Now, something is going to occur to somebody if it hasn't already as I read these quotations. They're going to say, hey, we tried that and it didn't work. And um, what I will show in this course is we haven't tried it. 
Uh, and I want to give us a little more awareness of what Prabhupada says, what he means when he says things like follow the regular principles, chant 16 rounds. I don't want, there's a, a famous uh, English uh, writer, uh, a very good one actually, on uh, Catholicism, uh, G.K. Chesterton, who also wrote uh, some uh, mystery novels about a Catholic priest detective. Uh, anyway, he said the, the only problem with Christianity is that it hasn't been tried. <laughs> um, I, I don't want us to have us in the same situation. Um, then these, uh, these couple of, uh, a couple of uh, excerpts from a famous letter that Prabhupada wrote to a GBC, Karandar. This was following uh, an attempt uh, by the GBC at that time to uh, centralize all the management in, in America under a single umbrella corporation and kind of uh, uh, take all the control of everything into the hands of a few people. This has happened on a couple of times and this was a, a, a another umbrella corporation. So in the course of this letter, Prabhupada says many things about management, which I'm not going to go into here. Some, some, some just sort of very, um, uh, very good principles of management that any institution would, would want to follow. Uh, but then he also says things like this. I'm a little observing now, especially in your country, uh, the date of this, this is also 72. Uh, I am little observing now, especially in your country, he means America, that our men are losing their enthusiasm for spreading on our programs of Krishna consciousness movement. Otherwise, so many letters of problems are coming, dissatisfied. That is not a very good sign. The whole problem, notice he says the whole problem, the whole problem is they are not following the regulative principles that I can detect. Without this, enthusiasm will be lacking. And this is a th theme of problem, where enthusiasm comes from. It comes from following regulative principles. Without this, enthusiasm will be lacking, even mechanically following. If he gets gradually understanding from the class, meaning the Srimad Bhagavatam class, uh, so even if in the beginning there's just doing it uh, out of orders, mechanically, still if he is, gets a philosophical understanding from Srimad Bhagavatam, so these two things have to come together, he will come to the point of spontaneous enthusiasm. This spontaneous loving devotional service is not so easy matter. Uh, but, remember we have all these discussions lately about Raganuga Bhakti and whether, you know, how it comes. Here it is, folks. This spontaneous loving devotional service is not so easy matter, but if one simply strictly, one simply sticks strictly to the rules and regulations like rising early, chanting 16 rounds, chanting Gayatri, keeping always clean, then his enthusiasm will grow more and more, and if there is also patience and determination, one day he will come to the platform of spontaneous devotion, then his life will be perfect. All of this I have told you in Nectar of Devotion. 
So I do not think the leaders are themselves following, nor are they seeing the others are following strictly. That must be rectified at once. 72. Later on in the same letter, he comes back to the same point. So my point is that the regulative principles must be followed by everyone. Otherwise, their enthusiasm dwindles, and they again think of sex and become restless, and so many problems are there. There is some symptom of missing the point. <laughs> the point is to be engaged in doing something for Krishna. Never mind what is that job, but being so engaged in doing something very much satisfying to the devotee that he remains always enthusiastic. He will automatically follow the regulative principles because they are part of his occupational duty. By applying them practically as his occupational duty, he realizes the happy result of regulative principles. See, people should understand there's a happy result for regulative principles. It's not just misery. <laughs> Prabhupada continues, So the future of this Krishna consciousness movement is very bright. So long the managers remain vigilant that 16 rounds are being chanted by everyone without fail, that they are all rising before four morning, attending Mangalarti, our leaders. And then he goes straight from this statement with, in the same sentence, just a dash, our leaders shall be careful not to kill the spirit of enthusiastic service, which is individual and spontaneous and voluntary. In other words, what Prabhupada is saying, that if the leaders make sure that this basic thing is there, then the, automatically the spirit of spontaneous voluntary service will arise. If they don't do this part, then they will have to come down like tyrants and dictators and uh, try to control everybody in that way, which will just be ultimately discouraging. Uh, he goes on uh, with, this is a, they should always try to generate some atmosphere of fresh challenge to the devotees so that they will agree enthusiastically to rise and meet it. That is the art of management, to draw out spontaneous loving spirit of sacrificing some energy for Krishna. But where are so many expert managers? All of us, notice this one, all of us should become expert managers and preachers. We should not. So now how to become an expert manager and preacher? Some ideas are there. We should not be very much after comforts and become complacent or self-contented. There must always be some tapasya, strictly observing the regulative principles. Krishna consciousness movement must be always a challenge a great achievement to be gained by voluntary desire to do it and that will keep it healthy. So you big managers now try to train up more and more some competent preachers and managers like yourself. Forget this centralizing and bureaucracy. Uh, one last letter. Uh, also from the same year. This seems to have been the theme for the year uh, almost. Uh, this is to uh, Suchandra, in, I don't know where he was. Since you are now leader, I think a temple president, 
Therefore, Krishna is forcing you to become very responsible and advanced devotee. This is Krishna's special favor upon you. So now you must see that all boys and girls who come to the temple, this, so this is a temple president, are given all facility to perfect their lives in Krishna consciousness, and you must give them good advice and instruction. You must be the perfect example of Krishna conscious devotee. How is that? Follow the regulative principles very diligently. Maintain the highest level of standard and routine work. When Prabhupada Evers uses the phrase routine work, this is what he means. Such as rising early, cleansing, chanting, temple worship, street sankirtan, and so on. Always keep the devotees satisfied like that. If your preaching work is strong, automatically management will be easy. And preaching work is strong if our routine work is strong. So there, there is a, a thing that if there, there's following the regular principles, there'll be enthusiasm, there'll be preaching, then there'll be good management. Never neglect our regular program and that will be your success. So these are, these are Prabhupada's uh, uh, statements about the, the uh, the central principle of, uh, of how to correct our mistakes and how to manage properly. Uh, so that we have to say that our, our failures are ultimately spiritual ones. Uh, and if the spiritual uh, uh, problems are dealt with successfully, then whatever uh, 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 practical uh, things we need for management and uh, resources will also uh, come about automatically. Well, as you know, as I said, almost everybody that wrote the letters to is is no longer active with us, and some uh, uh, things have uh, so have happened. So what uh, what went on, of course, is that is that. Uh, is that reform eventually became quite a, uh, a, a big issue in the movement. Uh, uh, after Prabhupada left, uh, we had uh, had so many, um, uh, and people became uh, spiritual masters after Prabhupada, then they began to run into various kinds of problems. Uh, and um, there was a uh, ultimately a guru reform movement of which uh, I somehow rather became uh, a leader and so I want to talk a little bit about uh, about uh, what had happened uh, the difficulties uh, arose in ISKCON uh, at least in an open way, uh, after Prabhupada's departure, uh, uh, as early as 1979. I mean, the Guru Reform Movement, so-called, really started in uh, late '84, uh, in a formal sort of a way, what we now call that. But in '79, uh, there were already uh, uh, kind of public eruptions. Um, there was one in Vrindavan and one at the Bombay Temple in Juhu Beach. Uh, 
papers were written. This was always the signal of papers being written. These are the days before uh, email. And uh, I, I think, uh, I don't think we had fax machines really uh, then. Uh, fax machines weren't, weren't in use until the late 80s. Uh, uh, maybe a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was just duplicating machines we had. That was that was the medium of propagation was was uh, photocopying. So none of you, very few of you, are probably old enough to remember life before photocopy machines. But it meant that what you had to do if you didn't have access to a printing press is is. Uh, uh, stencils. You had to take a, 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 a sheet of paper which was on a specially prepared background and type it and put it on this uh, machine with a drum and, and stencil things out. The smell of the, that chemical is unforgettable and probably still damaging. But, uh, but then, then photocopying changed all that. And then, but uh, so we got we got a lot of volumes of photocopied papers sort of spread around. And then uh, in May of 1980, uh, it was what's called an emergency meeting of the GBC uh, was in, in Los Angeles because there was uh, controversies about gurus, the major ones being Hamsadutta Swami and Jayatirtha. Uh, also, there was some issue with Tamal Krishna Goswami uh, uh, become controversial, as always he does. Um, uh, <laughs> he has this knack. Huh? Um, so then, because of these controversies, uh, that that uh, the, the and and actually there was a whole issue at that time of whether the whether the GBC actually had any standing to correct or or judge uh, a guru, an acharya, excuse me, an acharya, and uh, and that became to me that was almost as far as I was concerned when I finally got involved in this reform business that was in one sense the essential question was uh, the, the, the GBC is the ultimate managing authority and not the acharyas so-called uh, and as a matter of fact uh, uh, after this incident uh, several of these uh, people who had been uh, uh, in various ways uh, sanctioned by the, the GBC, went to Prabhupada's godbrother, B.R. Sridhar Maharaj, who also did not see that the GBC had any authority uh, over the Acharyas, because he was operating out of a different paradigm than the one Prabhupada had established. Uh, of, uh, and so, uh, Three months after sanctioning these gurus, the GBC issued a philosophical position paper, still in my files, and they defended the position that those who are now initiating gurus or acharyas in ISKCON are in fact to be considered Mahabhagavatas. That was the paper. 
uh, and uh, finally, you know, by 81, uh, uh, they had to, had to actually remove Hamsadutta from his position and with Jayatirtha in, in 82. And so many senior devotees believe that the failures on the parts of gurus and some abuses were going to continue and that the GBC couldn't really control them. This was the big, the big worry, what's going to happen. Then uh, in 1984, there was in September, there was a kind of routine uh, meeting of the North American Temple Presidents and Sannyasis. The meeting was to discuss book distribution uh, and other preaching projects so we could they could present something to the GBC at the next meeting. And uh, so this was held at Tawako Temple. I wasn't present at that meeting. Uh, in fact, I wasn't a temple president. I was working for the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Bhaktivedanta Institute. And, uh, but I was living in Philadelphia Temple. And there were 35 temple presidents there and sannyasis. And somehow or other, the, the, the conversation turned to the current anxiety about gurus and the GBC. And um, they, they po took a poll among themselves. And it turned out that 94% uh, of these voting members present uh, said that they believe that there are fundamental and compelling problems with the guru institution as it presently exists in ISKCON. There was this, this it's, and they, there was a, you know, a ser series of other questions uh, about the gurus and the GBC, and they were all pretty much like this. So this little thing got circulated around ISKCON, and a great deal of alarm uh, began to ha happen because of this. And so they called a second meeting in November, the next month, in the same place. Tawako is a little town in the, uh, New Jersey outside of New York City that nobody ever heard of, but for some reason or other we had to have a temple there. Uh, when we first had that temple, there was a t-shirt actually made by, I guess, some people who opposed the purchase of it, saying, where the hell is Tawako? <laughs> But it's still there. They did a nice Rathiatra this year in uh, Liberty Park. And anyway, that's where we met. So uh, at that at that meeting, uh, I was I, I was personally came to that meeting. Uh, I didn't want to go. Some devotees from Philadelphia had gone, and they were come back, and they were all fired up, and they said you should go. And I said, you know, I'm so sick of this issue. And people kvetching, you know, complaining all the time about the gurus and the GBC. Let me get on with my life. Uh, and uh, but somehow or other, I was I was hauled up to this to this this meeting. And um, and somehow or other, when I, I sat in this room with a bunch of devotees sitting on the floor and talking about these problems. Uh, I felt there was somehow or other a great deal of bhakti shakti sort of crackling in the air. Uh, there was some some spirit of empowerment or something like that, and I I became started to become enlivened and discouraged by at least the commitment of all, all these senior devotees, a sincere desire to do something. 
And I realized, uh, much to my surprise, that without realizing, I had really become quite despairing uh, about the state of ISKCON and, and about myself also. Uh, I realized I was in a, a spiritual slump myself and, uh, and uh, I was sort of coming out of it, I guess, because of this, uh, this association. And I realized that part of this was is I was, uh, without acknowledging it, feeling quite hopeless, uh, I, I guess, about the, the Krishna movement. I was just sort of trying to ignore all these problems and, and write BTG articles. Uh, anyway, uh, at this gathering, they decided to have a committee to, to try to research and find out what had really gone wrong with the Guru Institution in ISKCON, and they asked me to be in charge of that committee. Uh, so I agreed to do it. Uh, that's how I got involved. So, um, so by this time I was starting to, you know, some, some, some spiritual log jams were breaking up. Uh, I was starting to, and um, then I realized that, uh, that, you know, if they want me to understand things, what went wrong and what's going, you know, I have to get myself in, uh, in, in uh, some kind of better spiritual shape. Because I realized I'd been chanting my rounds very, very badly. I'd been distracted by so many things. I was, wasn't really on the, uh, the cutting edge of advancement in Krishna consciousness. I, ha I could look back into a past where I was making more, adv making advancement, but somehow or other, for some time, I had stopped. And I just realized that, uh, that I had to do something about that. Otherwise, how could I, how could I even think clearly uh, and uh, understand uh, what was uh, what was going on properly and so I decided and the other thing was is if we were going to, f to fix ISKCON I, I just had this very strong intuition that I, I couldn't fix ISKCON at, at all, help fix ISKCON at all if I weren't trying to fix myself uh, and uh, so uh, I, I began to uh, just uh, get more rigorous and I bring my sadhana to a, a strict level and uh, try to chant my rounds with more care and attention and look and see whatever I was doing that was, uh, that was uh, an offense against the holy name and try to clean it up. And, you know, all of a sudden, um, I... Um, began to feel uh, some inspiration coming. Uh, and uh, I want to quote to you, uh, I think it's in this document somewhere, uh, something that Prabhupada puts in, in in the preface to Nectar of Instruction. We may read the Nectar of Instruction, but probably skip the preface. But he says in the preface, Prabhupada says, in all spiritual affairs, one's first duty <laughs> this is another. One's first duty is to control his mind and senses. Unless one controls his mind and senses, one cannot make any advancement in spiritual life. Uh, everyone within this material world is engrossed in the modes of passion and ignorance. One must promote himself to the platform of goodness, sattva guna, 
by following the instructions of Rupa Goswami. And what Prabhupada is really doing now is commenting on the first verse. Vajo Vegam Manasakroda Vegam. One has to control these six uh, urgings uh, of the senses. Uh, one must promote himself to the platform of goodness, sattvaguna. And notice Prabhupada is only talking about sattvaguna. We're not talking about you know, out of the material world. One must promote himself to the platform of goodness, sattvaguna, by following the instructions of Rupa Goswami. And then everything concerning how to make further progress will be revealed. So if we don't know what to do next for our spiritual progress, this is what the remedial measure we have to take. Uh, you can be, I, it, it seems like sattvaguna itself is a material position. You can become attached to knowledge and, and, and uh, mental comforts and uh, a nice life of peacefulness. That's one thing. But if a, if a devotee who's practicing Krishna consciousness comes to sattva-guna, then that devotee is in a position to understand what Krishna wants, prompting from inside and also outside. That's a fact. That's only sattva-guna, by the way. I mean, it's, I, I got a lot more respect for sattva-guna than I used to. Uh, uh, and that's what you need, not only for ourselves as individuals, but for uh, our society. So, uh, I, so I, I began to, my despair over my, the fate of ISKCON began to evaporate like a kind of fog. Uh, I began to be enlivened myself. And then uh, I was thinking hard every day. What has gone wrong, you know, with ISKCON? Why have we come to this point? Because that was my assignment, and uh, I had a duty to do it. And then, uh, then, uh, then the sort of uh, uh, a breakthrough through came. Uh, we were uh, we were all uh, um, uh, there was uh, several of us meeting in in Philadelphia. Shesha uh, Das was the temple president. There was a, a sannyasi regional secretary named Mahakram Swami, uh, who's no longer with us. Um, and he had actually that was the vice chairman at that time of the reform movement, uh, uh, the, the body that formed itself in Tawako. And of course, uh, every, we were all under the, our, 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 who was the initiating guru, the Zonlacharya for that area was, was Satsuru Maharaj. Um, now Satsuru Maharaj, of course, later published a very influential and important book called called uh, Guru Reform. But his initial reaction, which is quite understandable, is he was worried about these guys up in Tawako, uh, and what they're doing and what they're talking about and how, how they affect his relationship with his disciples. And, uh, and he questioned the suitability of politics to deal with a spiritual issue. Of course, that's quite right. I just read quotations or promises that politics won't solve our problems. So he was he was kind of worried about about it. Um, and anyway, I was sitting there discussing this thing with uh, these with uh, this group. Uh, I think there were some other people in the room. Maybe Kundali was there. Uh, 
And then, uh, then uh, Shesha took me aside afterwards and says, you know, you have to be very careful about what you say around Mahagram uh, Swami because he goes and he tells everything to Satsuru Maharaj. And uh, you should know that, you know. And I was just devastated because really what I thought was, wow, here we are, the reform group is going to fix ISKCON and we can't even trust each other. <laughs> you know, we already got to be suspicious that among ourselves there's all this politics going on. And so I, I thought, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is, uh, then I realized that there was something more to this reform group than in fact, uh, you know, uh, politics. And then, then I began to realize, uh, I think, I, I was awake all night long thinking or being thought, it was more like it, that the guru problem was really a symptom and it was not really the disease. And, that, uh, and the disease was something we all had, that the reform group was not going to be any better. I could see it right then that the reform group, when we got into group, was not going to be any better and maybe quite a bit worse than the than the <laughs> the people who were there, uh, and I thought that this this idea that you know we are the pure ones and those guys, those are the bad guys was really all wrong. And uh, there's a famous uh, used to be this famous American cartoon character called Pogo. This uh, cartoon is a opossum. His slogan was, "We have met the enemy, and he is us." <laughs> and uh, I thought, "Yeah, that's true, you know." So, so then I just began to get some ideas, and uh, I talked over with some people there, and, and I wrote a wrote a paper, which is the one that that uh, you have here, the next step in the expansion of ISKCON, ending the fratricidal war. These were just my immediate intuitions. I had to get this off of my chest. I realized that well, there was no research behind it as such. It was just how I was, uh, how, how I was feeling. And uh, I, I, uh, I sent it out. I, I wrote it up. I made a few photocopies and I put them in the mail. We didn't, we didn't have a fax machine. Uh, uh, put them in the mail. I, I think to about three people and it was amazing that within two weeks I was getting phone calls from all over the movement uh, why didn't you send me a copy of your paper uh, why did I get a copy of your paper uh, because what had, what had happened is that some people that I, that I sent it to they really liked it and they photocopied it and sent it to some other people and so that way geometrically it seemed to have spread very very quickly just just by by photocopy and and uh, the post uh, things so it was clear that it really hit a nerve and um, I want to just uh, take you through a few things in this paper because I've had occasion to go back and look at it I hadn't looked at it for quite a few years and uh, you know there's things in this paper I would not now write but I think the basis of it is, is, is still, in fact, I'm surprised I, I knew that much back then. I think it was not me, uh, really. It was sort of a program for development rather than... Uh, and I called it a preliminary proposal because I knew it was not, uh, not the final thing. And 
So I start out with this bold sentence, the root of all problems now facing Iskana, and his tendency to be a little ex-cathedra, is that we, the disciples of Srila Prabhupada, have not yet established proper Vaishnava relations among ourselves. Now, as it turns out, then I discuss the root of that problem, so this isn't really the root. But, <laughs> but uh, this was our subject, where the devotees are fighting with each other. And then I saw, and I saw this in terms of relationships, and then the analysis, why are these relationships so bad? Now, now and then I go back and I discuss the past a little bit, when we had a fratricidal war between uh, the Radha Damodar sannyasis in America and the householder temple presidents, which Prabhupada called a fratricidal war, uh, a war between brothers. And so I thought this was another, or a continuation maybe, of a fratricidal war in a way. And I, I said that we just, people just don't know how to get along with each other. And Prabhupada criticized us for this on the inability to cooperate uh, with each other. So then the, in the paragraph beginning, uh, let's see, yeah, it's um, a society of devotees, one, two, three, paragraph four. Then I start to give what was just a realization of, of what is the case in ISKCON. And here I make the case that ISKCON is a Kanishta Adhikari society. This was very bold. Because you remember that there was just a paper, you know, a little while back that, uh, that the, all the Acharyas were Mahabhagavatas. And now I'm making a claim that we're a Kanishta Adhikari society. So this is the analysis. A society of devotees in which proper Vaishnava relationships are not yet the norm is called the Kanishta Adhikari society. Its distinguished characteristic is contentiousness arising from envy. People are fighting with each other. Envy is a product of false ego. Because of false ego, the members are unable to establish spiritual friendship among themselves. Instead, they vie, that is, they compete with each other for prestige, power, and perquisites. Perks, as it's known in the trade. Intensely desiring honor and respect of others, the contentious neophyte pretends to be more advanced than he actually is. And this is where I start to get to the substance, is the, pretentio the pretentiousness. He tries to conceal his shortcomings and fall downs, and in so doing, he develops a secretive mentality and holds himself back from entering into open and honest relationships with his godbrothers. Because he cannot reveal his mind in confidence, he remains aloof from real fellowship. He strays from the path of devotional service, but his peers do not help him. For he thinks that if he allows someone to preach to him, he implicitly admits his own subordination. Therefore, he cuts himself off from hearing and becomes impervious to instructions or good advice. Because he has many secret misgivings about himself, unacknowledged even to himself, he becomes eager to find the faults of others that way he reassures himself of his own superiority in spite of his many unacknowledged weaknesses. It was only, uh, you know, about, it was five or six years later that I, that I ran across uh, an analysis of spiritual, dealing with spiritual failure by this uh, Christian 
Anton Boysen, uh, where I found the things that I didn't realize it until I looked at this again that it was, you know, it was a, the same sorts of things. Uh, that, that the major problem in advancement is concealment and uh, denial. And this leads to certain things, certain symptoms, like one of them is fault finding. And then I mentioned another one, substituting minor for major virtues or losing yourself in busyness. You can, you can avoid becoming Krishna conscious by just working very hard to spread the Krishna consciousness movement. <laughs> We've seen that. So I say, spiritual immaturity often leads a Kanishta Adhikari to identify spiritual advancement with organizational advancement. He thinks that attaining prestige, power, and the perks of office is evidence of spiritual advancement. Lacking the assets for real spiritual advancement, he substitutes organizational elevation, which he thinks he can attain through his cunning or political prowess. Some people will think I was talking about some current gurus, I guess. He therefore competes intensely for others for high office, and he comes to believe implicitly that one achieves a spiritually elevated state only by becoming victorious over others. In this way, material competition becomes institutionalized in a Kanishta Adhikari society. Fortunately, however, the Kanishta stage is followed by the Majjama stage. Hopefully. A Kanishta Adhikari advances to the Majjama platform by means of sadhana bhakti. Sadhana pursued diligently and attentively destroys false ego. And as long as the neophyte devotees attend to their sadhana, they can be sure of elevation to the higher stages. There is, however, no other assured means of advancement, and habitual negligence in sadhana is therefore fatal to progressive spiritual life. Furthermore, when a neophyte devotee has ridden, risen to the Majjhima platform, sadhana is absolutely necessary to maintain him in that position. If he becomes slack in his sadhana, he rapidly reverts to the neophyte condition. Therefore, the essential prerequisite for both creating and sustaining a Majjhima society is intense common commitment to sadhana. So, that, and then I, I say something which was actually not true, that in our movement there are many Majjhima and even Uttama Adhikaris, uh, but uh, I, I didn't want to didn't want to rattle too many people's cages too hard, uh, and uh, just said, said even even if there are, they're still not acting on the, that platform. And I've no noticed uh, a little later on that some may be taken aback by the depiction of Iskand as a Kanishta Adhikari society, because the claim is we're preaching, books are being distributed, devotees are being made. Therefore, we are advanced because Kanishta Adhikaris don't preach. And then I have a little analysis of what I thought of. I, I, I discuss what I think uh, real book distribution and preaching would be like on a Majjhima platform. Here it is. See if we've got there yet. A devotee on the Majjhima platform worships God with a determined vow, and by that sadhana he gradually destroys his false ego. Because his false ego becomes destroyed, he can enter into genuine spiritual fellowship with the other devotees. Because he becomes further purified and enlivened by that fellowship, 
he becomes fixed and fully satisfied in spiritual life. The community thus formed becomes the basis for Sankirtan or congregational glorification of the Lord. In that congregation, the devotees become so joyful that they naturally attract others to join. And when the enlivened devotees see all those innocent people dragging themselves through dead lives outside the ecstatic devotional association, they feel great compassion and preach to them out of the spontaneous fullness of their hearts. Thus the community of devotees endlessly expands. Indeed, no force on earth can check it. That was the vision I had at that time of how Sankirtan should actually go on or rise out of a Majjama Adhikari society. So anyway, a little later on, about uh, I say the rebirth of ISKCON cannot be accomplished by legalistic means or political maneuvers, thus in effect agreeing with people like Satsrup Maharaj. Uh, and I, in that paragraph, we must rather bring each other to a higher stage of relationships through personal spiritual renewal. This is the precondition for any other truly regenerative institutional reforms in ISKCON. Then I point out one special advantage to this revolutionary project for the regeneration of ISKCON is that it need not wait on the action of the GBC. It can be initiated in each temple immediately. It can be started by one devotee. Um, and then I give again what I think is the way to, way to go about this. Any devotee who wants to institute reform must begin with himself. The prerequisite for coming to the Majjama stage is to be a strict follower of the regular principles of devotional service. Spiritual fellowship cannot flourish if anarthas are not being relentlessly uprooted by daily practice. Therefore, every devotee who wants to help in the reformation of his kind, so this is really addressed to my fellow reformers, huh? uh, must first carefully review his own spiritual condition and his personal devotional practice. If he's careless in observing regular principles and slack in sadhana, he must begin immediately, he must immediately take up the process of rectification. This entails, wonder where I got this from, the complete morning program in all alertness with a special concentration and attentive, offense-avoiding japa. By this effort, a devotee may quickly remove all his accommodations to sense gratification and undertake the deliberate dismantling of his false ego. A devotee of the reforming party should recognize sense gratification and false ego as the two great impediments to Vaishnava fellowship. They are the mortal enemies of Iskand, and he should resolve to conquer them. <clears throat> Having undertaken whatever personal reformatory measures are required, the reforming devotee should then undertake the rectification of his relationships. And then again I go into a take on what I think is the condition of ISKCON, at least at that time. Most devotees will discover that few, if any, of their relationships are satisfactory. The devotee will probably find will probably see that he has almost no confidential friends and that he does not and cannot trust most of his associates, as I had just found out <laughs> from uh, this little meeting. He's conscious that many of his associates have made accommodations, sometimes quite extensive, 
to sense gratification. Indeed, he has participated in many meetings in which the faults and shortcomings of those not present have been thoroughly examined. Yet the established patterns of relationships are such that while everyone is free to talk about, no one is free to talk to them. Yet in this situation, devotees find themselves standing helplessly by as they watch one of their associates sink deeper and deeper into Maya until he finally bloops. No one is able to come to his aid. As the failing devotee falls further and further away, the criticism of him intensifies, but no one helps. Nor can the devotees work together effectively because they have no way of working out the inevitable differences that arise in any collective effort. It's understood that people, when they work together, will have disagreements. That's not the problem. The problem is how do you deal with that productively? Hmm? So people don't have any, so they don't have any way of working out the inevitable differences that arise in any collective effort. When one devotee transgresses against another, the offending party will either respond in wrath or else retreat into wounded silence, complaining, however, vociferously to others. He does not know how to approach the other devotee and openly resolve their differences. He is unable to reveal his mind without giving offense. Under these conditions, a great stockpile of resentment builds up in time. And here, actually, I'm diagnosing what's going on in the reform movement on both sides. Uh, and the atmosphere is filled with sullen undercurrents of hostility and mistrust relieved only by periodic outbursts of anger. In this uncongenial climate, devotional relations become more and more burdensome and materialistic people start to seem relatively nice. The devotees find themselves living in deepening isolation from one another each enthroned in a well-fortified ivory tower of false ego. They learn to get along by avoiding each other. These are some of the local conditions that arise in the milieu of fratricidal strife. Uh, and then I uh, give some more discussion about how to reform uh, these uh, relationships and how to try to open people up to uh, to confidential exchanges and uh, and so on. But I think we, we go until 1.30, right? So I'd better not uh, go over all that. Uh, so you can see that, that this sort of... Uh, uh, this, as far as I'm concerned, I wrote a number of other papers and there was a sort of a reform movement and some sort of... Uh, institutional changes but as far as I'm concerned the real program is uh, not yet been carried out um, uh, and uh, this this paper was was actually controversial when it when it when it came out and sort of quickly became became uh, superseded by other things but when I look back, I thought, you know, this is the real thing. I mean, this is what, what, uh, what it's really about. And I always understood that it's not you're ever going to, to reform ISKCON and now it's fixed, okay, we can go on to other things, but that actually has to be a continuing, nonstop, perpetual effort. So 
this, uh, I want to go on in this course about uh, what, what this reform really means. Uh, I want to discuss what is actually sadhana. But I want you to understand that sadhana is a political act. It's a social act and it's a political act. Uh, we're not in isolation. We live in a community of devotees. Uh, and therefore anything we do to ourselves uh, affects other people and our relationship with other people and then affects our institution. Uh, uh, it's politics. Sadhana is politics. And it's the only good politics. By the way, I don't, I don't think politics is of course now a dirty word. Uh, but, it, but it comes uh, from uh, Aristotle, uh, who wrote a book that's given that title in English. But what, what it means is the art of living together in a polis. Polis was a Greek city-state. And we, Aristotle said man is a, it's translated in English, man is a human being, meaning human beings. Human beings are political animals. But he say, what he really said is human beings are uh, those who are, uh, whose nature it is to live together in a city-state. And there's some kind of articulated structure of, of management, organized of, of management. That's politics. So you, know, you have to have good politics. It's not a bad thing. And uh, so you just go from individual to community and you get a little more articulated for action in the world and then you have, you have, uh, you have politics. Uh, so, and, and this is also, I'm convinced, uh, how any of us can become empowered um, uh, to, um, to uh, help our movement, to save our movement, to make our movement uh, be progressive. Uh, empowerment comes from Krishna. And uh, when, when, Lord Chit when Lord Chaitanya uh, appeared, uh, a, a great deal of, of spiritual potency is loosed on the world. That is a given. And I, I, who, who receives that potency and transmits it, that is not a given. It's like, it's like pouring water on, on a slope or at the top of a hill. It is a given that that water will go from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill. How does it go down? Well, it follows the path, path of least resistance. As it goes down, it seeks out where is the lowest level. So the same way, I think, the spiritual potency of Lord Chaitanya will follow the path of least resistance. Uh, uh, when the things that block the spiritual energy are gone, when people are more receptive, that's where it will go. So any of us who start to remove these obstacles will become empowered. Because there is guaranteed there will be a 10,000 year golden age of Krishna consciousness. It's not guaranteed that you or I will forward it or even that ISKCON will do it. Somebody will. Who, whoever actually follows the instructions uh, of the Acharyas. Um, this course is also about practicing our culture. Culture means a place where there is cultivation. Uh, our cultivation is actually the cultivation of the holy name. We have to properly cultivate the holy name. 
And you'll, you'll also find out that there's a whole parallel between the cultivation, the culture of the Holy Name and the culture of Srimad Bhagavatam, which is really the Holy Name in a big form. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, if we practice our culture, if we receive what we, our inheritance, our, our heritage from the past, we become capable of receiving it and practice it, then we'll also be able to, to pass it on. Prabhupada has stated, I've told you everything, you know everything you need to know, I've already told you a nectar of devotion. It's only our business now to notice what, what Prabhupada has, has given us and receive it and, and put it into practice. So, uh, tomorrow we'll start with the, the topic of the proper cultivation of the Holy Name. Uh, these things, um, uh, I have to say, I did not, I did not have anyone, one person come and teach me about these things. Everything I've got, I've gotten from our literature, but I had to put it together myself. Uh, I really wish that when I had been a new devotee, somebody had said, you know, giving me these clear instructions. And so I think it's, it's our business uh, to, to learn these things clearly ourselves, and so we're able to teach it very clearly to others, and then we'll avoid so many problems in the future. We have a few minutes. Are there any questions or comments? Yeah? Mm. Uh, do you think that all the GBC bodies uh, is going through this uh, correction, reform, or is some? Uh, why don't you judge? We'll go through and see what it is. I, I, I think different people are are uh, on different uh, levels of engagement. Uh, I, I can't I can't say for sure that the whole GBC body is doing that. Um, uh, definitely the whole GBC body could be improved, so that's enough to know. The, the point is the point is to make progress. Uh, you know wherever you are, you should be going forward. And there may be some people who at a certain point have become fairly advanced but have stopped making progress. Uh, that person is not as well situated as a person who's not so far advanced but is advancing. That, that we want to see. So anyway, we'll have to, GBC will have to answer for it one way or another. Each of us, each, each of us will actually. Well, as Prabhupada said, that when you become a GBC, you take on a very heavy responsibility, and so if you you mess up, it goes very bad for you. I can I can find the quotation. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> so it goes very very bad because you've taken such responsibility. Anything else? No. Huh? Yeah. Just a, a small clarification. I might correct with assuming that when Prophet is talking about not following the regular principles of the source of the difficulty. He's not just talking about grossly not following, he's also talking about not strictly following also. Uh, I think he was talking pretty gross, actually, <laughs> at that time. Uh, as a matter of fact, as it turned out, actually, as history revealed, 
Um, or that people were very close or very in a precarious position because of, of uh, not proper sadhana. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's possible, by the way, as we'll see with Bhutan, we understand what proper sadhana is. It's possible to follow the checklist and check everything off and have terrible sadhana. <coughs> and conversely, sometimes it's possible to have very good sadhana and be, you know, not be able to check off every item. So we have to understand what, what real sadhana is. Uh, but I, I hate to admit it, but I think at least in 1972, Prabhupada was talking about rather gross fall downs, or people not chanting their rounds. Uh, uh, and that people fell down later meant that there was some long-standing problem they were not dealing with. And as we see, we'll see, sadhana means dealing with those problems. And how to do it successfully will be uh, very useful to know this. And Prabhupada's told us everything we need to know. Okay, until tomorrow. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada. Yeah. Yeah.